Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. This one is Remember This Crap. So with with me as always to remember crap is Mike Donahue. You can find him at Twitter at, at Hugh Cub. Mike, how are you doing? Doing good, Andy. Thanks. Good. So the Bears are making their 2020 Monday Night Football debut. And they're playing <laughs> our old friends... The Los Angeles Rams. The Rams on Monday night. Here with all my Rams on Monday night. It was just a year ago, right, where they played on Sunday night? I can't keep track because they also uh, they definitely played them on Sunday night two years ago because it was flexed to Sunday night in Soldier Field. Yes, last year it was at wherever they were playing, I guess at the <laughs> Coliseum. <laughs> And that right. was the game where um, Nagy benched Mitch and then pretended he didn't. Yeah, I somehow managed to scrub that from my memory, but it was brought up recently. I brought it up he, yesterday. Well, Pusateri. well, but I actually it was brought up when he benched Mitch uh, when he benched Mitch this year. Yeah, because I had forgotten that he did bench him late. I would oh, not he have insists he didn't. Well, <laughs> What's so like? it worked. It worked. His insistence. But it, at the end of that game, it was a you know frustrating game. He got benched, and then he started. And I had forgotten it uh, that 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 actually happened until it was brought up. Benched and then started the next week. I'm sure that I mean that happens, but um, and yeah, it was the Rams game. So the Rams are an interesting team. They uh, a lot. I, I think if you ask most football fans where they started. They couldn't tell you. It's an interesting history. They started in 1937 in Cleveland. Cleveland had two football teams. Of all places. I don't know if they, did they, would they have had two in 1937? Actually, I don't know. Maybe were they the originals and then the Browns came later? So here's what, here's the quick history lesson for all you boys and girls out there. I didn't know that 37 was their first season, but they do go back further than people might realize. And unlike the other team from California, the San Francisco 49ers, they, they were not a team from another conference. In that case, the All-American Football Conference, which is also where the Colts sort of and the Browns had come from. The Rams were sort of a, not a charter franchise, but if you go back to 37, it's pretty much the beginning. They won a championship in Cleveland in 45. Uh, they beat the uh, the Washington uh, the Washington football team, and then immediately, as soon as they won that championship, they could not wait to move to Los Angeles. So, not that you need to like add to the list of you know uh, indignities that the city <laughs> of Cleveland has suffered through the years, um, but they field a football team that immediately leaves for greener pastures. The Browns then. As part of this newfound rival AAFC, uh, I think in 46 or 47, 
of course, immediately won every season before they were forced to merge with the NFL uh, in 1950. And which, and from that point, the Browns went to six straight title games, oftentimes playing the Rams. And that was sort of the Rams' first uh, glory season. But it was in LA, so yeah, you're. They started in Cleveland. They won a championship in Cleveland. Um, you know, they had Bob Waterfield. Like the, you know, with the Q factor of their star quarterback. Like I said, they couldn't wait to just get the hell to the West Coast. There was more opportunity. That's where everything was going, uh, or it would. Uh, they're kind of they're kind of pioneers doing it uh, in 1946. Yeah, they uh, would. They would have been the first major sports team in. California. California. Yeah. Because even okay. the Dodgers didn't come until 57. Yeah. yeah. A good decade. So yeah. Baseball was still East of the Mississippi till then. So um, Cleveland was a two football team town for exactly one year. Is in the NFL. Yeah, right. Yeah. One year, 45, I'm guessing. Right. So, so maybe, you know, if nothing else, they were bracing for the, uh, uh, for their departure. And it also shows that boy, Cleveland was really actually hard as it may seem to believe the epicenter of pro football then for about an 11 year period. Yeah. Well, they had the, uh, you know, Ohio, they had the Canton Bulldogs. I don't know how I, I can't, right. I can't speak to that. I can't go back that far. And Ohio, actually I misspoke. They were never a two, they were ships passing in the night. The Rams left. The Rams last season was forty-five. Yep, and then so, so the AAFC began in forty-six or forty-seven, 40, right? Forty-six, and you were right. The okay. Browns won all four championships. So actually, the only period that there there hasn't been continuous foot, uh, NFL or pro football and you know professional level football at the highest level because AAFC was legitimate as proved by Cleveland, you know, winning championships early after they. Um, after they joined, but the only period between 1937 and today in which there was no high level, uh, professional football in Cleveland would have been between 1996 and 98, I guess. Yes. So it's Art Rooney can be thanked for that. Not Art Art Rooney, Art Modell. Art Modell. Modell. (laughs) You're the one that's been drinking and I'm like the one that's getting everything wrong. Hey, they start Euchre at seven. I'm just trying to keep it balanced. The, uh, the Rams. Second coach was a guy named Hugo Bezdek. Love it. Hugo went one and thirteen, and then uh, was asked not to coach anymore. So. Okay. So I think my favorite Rams coach. Um, who's the is he the first coach you remember? Because I was I was actually coming in ready to ask you that. Okay. Who the, fir- the first coach I remember is Chuck Knox. But I don't really? know that I really remember. I probably only remember him. I probably remember him from Seattle. And then yes, knew he you coached. Do. You so, should. So I would guess it's John Robinson. And that No, was it's the guy between Knox Ray, and, and Robinson. Ray, Ray Malavasi. Ray Malavasi. Yeah. Well, I don't remember Ray Malavasi. That's the problem. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I was do. Was he there, Abe Gibran? He, no, he's the one that took him to the Super Bowl in 79. Here's, oh, yeah, he's 40 uh, and 33. I will tell you, and I've referenced 1979 like it's the Smashing Pumpkins song, but it is the first year that I was consciously aware of the, you know, the Cubs and the Bears, and it w- would have been the first year that my dad took me to a, a regular season Bears game. It was also the first year he took me to a preseason game uh, when I saw the Jets, but I got to go to one. He only had three tickets, you know, and you only have so many seats. Um and it wasn't itching to go, but I was excited uh, to go. And they played the Rams, uh, and they beat them. It was kind of a, you know, I can't remember any details from the game because I was only seven. I just remember that I think it was 27-21, and I remember, like, looking to their 
looking to my right, the big uh, or the I don't even think they had installed the new crappy scoreboard uh, at the old Soldier Field at that point, but where the clock was ticking down and the fans in my area were all counting down from ten. Very exciting. Both teams went to the playoffs. Both teams. I believe, uh, or no, not why they only had one wild card or they, the two, the bears played the Eagles got knocked out, but eventually the Rams went finally broke through and went to the Super Bowl with Ray Malavasi and then lost to Terry Bradshaw and the Steelers. It was Pittsburgh's fourth Super Bowl. Um, but yeah, my first regular season game was, was seeing that team. And I'm pretty sure Ferragamo was under center because he was in the Super Bowl, but really Pat Hayden, I believe was their supposed to be their quarterback, but he got hurt. Um, I think that's right. So, yeah, Ray Malavasi, if they were going to cast, um, it wouldn't really be Ned Beatty. It would Charles Durning with a fright wig would be Ray Malavasi. Um, but if you, I just have to say, if you're going to go with Charles Durning, why not just go with Brian Dennehy? <laughs> Dennehy, I think, was uh, a little more athletic looking than Ray. Maybe not. Yeah, he wasn't. He he wasn't athletic looking. Like, and that's why I remember man. That's quality. Way to go, Ray. That's a, almost a Yogi Berraism. Actually, know who he looked like? Not Brian Dennehy or Charles Durning. Now that I think about it, and this is probably totally off because I'm not looking at a picture of him right now. This is all <laughs> in my mind's eye. I'm picturing Vic Tabak. Oh yeah, I can see that. Oh. Yeah. Also known as Mel from yeah. from uh, Mel's Diner and Alice from Alice. So yep. That's I think, and I think that's what I kind of thought at the time when I first looked at the at the game program. Vic Tabak what's, is what's Mel doing? Ray Malavasi. Mel, they just call him Mel. It was Mel's Diner. It wasn't wasn't Mel's? It was Mel's. I think we're onto something here. I think so. We're through the we're through the looking glass, people. Uh, so, so I was gonna say my, so my, but my favorite Ram coach, maybe it's because when he coached at USC, uh, Notre Dame beat them repeatedly, um, was John Robinson. That was like John. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you know? I guess that for the last, oh, I want to say at least decade, that John Madden was still on the air. John Robinson was his spotter. John Robinson was a spotter whenever um, – oh, after he had retired? Yes, that was his, like, post-football job. He rode around on the Madden Cruiser with John to every game, and he hung out in oh the booth, God. and he just told him who made the tackle and who did whatever else. I mean, talk about so a he basically just job. Yeah, he just Right, he gets to be pulled along in this, this humongous chariot across the country. Yeah, he sees all the best putting football away games. Putting away bottles of scotch yep. on the way. I'm sure he's, like, having a hell of yep. a time on the road with, like, you know, and Madden, he's always struck me as quite the rock on tour. And then, yeah, so now it's, like, game day. All right, now you got to earn your money. Yep. And so what he he's a spotter, which a spotter is somebody that gives a heads up to the announcers uh, real quick, like who made the play, right? Yeah, and the usually the both announcers have a spotter. So the guy who's spotting for the play-by-play guy has the much tougher job. He is the one who has to quickly do the math as to that was a 52-yard pass, that was a mm. 48-yard punt, that was the tackle was and by number eight. The, where the, the color the guy won, for the, depending on what the guy wants, can basically mm-hmm. either remind John to talk about something that, right. that right. he knew he wanted to talk about, or... <laughs> I would guess because Robinson was a coach too, he would like notice stuff and be like, hey, John, look at this. 
and then if it happened again, then they could talk about it. And but yeah, talk about like the the coolest job you could have because they were they were best friends. So he's just hanging out with his best friend, going to you know, and for Robinson, that, he got paid. I'm sure by that's brilliant. I yes. love that. I never heard that before. Yeah. That's what he did. I don't know exactly uh, how many years. I could have looked that up, but uh, that's, well, that's what he did. And it was. I don't think. I'm sure he talked about it occasionally, um, but I didn't really know about it until, um, or was reminded about it. Richard Deitch for The Athletic has written a couple of stories in the last couple of years about, like, there was one he sat in the booth with Romo and Nance and gave kind of the behind-the-scenes thing about how they work a broadcast. Deitch did. Yes, and he worked in the story about you talk. He basically described what the spotters do and mentioned that John Robinson had been Madden's spotter at the end of his career, and I remembered that I knew that somehow. Okay, uh, but yeah, it's from just, an earlier from an earlier uh, anecdote or whatever yeah. that you'd come across. I, I think for sure, at least once a year, they would just sh- they would just show him. You know, okay. Maybe the last. I don't game. recall. Hey, that. I want to thank my buddy John Robinson. And you're I'm, saying the last ten years of Madden's career as a broadcaster? Yeah. Or okay, because like and I don't know if it's exactly ten, but one it was a few years after Robinson stopped coaching. Yeah, that they, was, and that would have been like in the early, in the late to early nineties. I think they uh, they made a championship game and got blown out by San Fran eighty nine, and then within a couple of years he was done. And but he still went back to Southern Cal because was he not the Southern Cal coach both before and after um, being the Rams coach, I believe he was. I think he may have succeeded the aforementioned John McKay at Southern Cal. Oh, I didn't know this. Went to the Rams. I didn't know he did all this too. John Edward Robinson, born in 1943, was a convicted serial killer, con man, embezzled. Oh, that's not the right John Robinson. Amazing. Wow. And he got how away. Did, how well, did he, he cram all of that into like, a career? Right. And he coached well, Anna. What an amazing life. Well, oh, here he is. OJ went to Southern Cal too. Well, that's true. Maybe that's where he, he learned it. Yeah. Well, but he played for McKay, I want to say. So... Doesn't add up, unfortunately. Oh, Robinson was a running back coach for Madden for a year with the Raiders. Then he with became the then he became the USC head coach in 1976. Hopped okay. to the Rams in '83. Went back to USC and coached the Rams from '83 to '91. Went back to USC at '93 to '97. Okay. Then coached at for- UNLV until 2004. Wow, seven more years of earning that paycheck, yes. UNLV. So. Uh, interestingly that interesting that he um, he left the Rams to go back to Southern Cal when I want to say the guy that replaced him was Chuck Knox who himself was returning to the Rams for his second um, go around a-, a fact that is absolutely meaningless but nevertheless failed to escape my attention Chuck Knox who you thought you may have remembered as the Rams coach but would have from the second time around and they were terrible when ground Chuck was the Rams coach the second time. But of course we both first remember Chuck as being the Seahawks coach. If, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Oh, Robinson and Madden knew each other. Uh, he didn't, he didn't just randomly coach for him with the Raiders. Um, he went to high school with John Madden at our lady of perpetual help. In Daly City, California. You're kidding. I literally went to a, a funeral a week ago. There's a parish in Glenview, Illinois, home of uh, Chuck Ittles, Our Lady of Perpetual Hope. The the shorthand is, uh, well, it looks like Olaf. So apropos of nothing, but interesting. So Madden and Robinson go all the way back to the freaking late 50s. 
They graduated in, in 1950. Or so, in, yeah, early 50s. Yeah. So they're born in 32. I thought you said Robinson was born in 42. Well, that was the serial killer. Oh, right. John That's Alexander right. Robinson was born How in 1935, and he's still around. How could his uh, his wiki rank go higher than – I never even heard of that serial Wait killer. Wait a minute. He, how was how the Rams' USC This can't be right. Okay, so I, not to besmirch um, – we think John Robinson graduated from high school in 1950? He could have. I mean – Oh, no, no, I read it wrong. Wiki's right. They didn't go to, I don't know if they went to high school together. They went to grade school together. That's even farther back. Wow. Because he went to Junipero Serra High School in 1950, and graduated in 50. So Our Lady of Perpetual Help Grammar School yep. must have been there. Wow. So they're in the freaking so 30s. Yeah, they were kids. They knew each other yeah. when they were like 12 years old. Thick as thieves. Cool. Yeah, it is cool. Wow. That's like. That's like the old like it's, Pete or was it Don Zimmer and Jim Fry supposedly were childhood friends. It's um, it's Tom Izzo and John K- and um, um, Steve, Mariucci Steve Mariucci from Iron City, Michigan. But I I would think that the Madden Robinson takes the cake. Well, yeah, it's Just two. Back it's a it's a it's a pro football Hall of Fame coach and a college football Hall of Fame coach. And, and and a pretty successful yes. NFL coach. The Rams in the eighties. We we we've talked about it. And the more the more since you first brought it up, Andy, the more sort of cemented in my brain just how special the NFC was in the nineteen eighties. Uh, and the Rams were like a distant fourth. They were never really bad, uh, and they did make a title game, as we all, of course, remember in Chicago. Yeah, remember, they made a couple. Remember that game? They made it made the you know eighty January of eighty six at at Soldier Field. My friend, sorry, Soldiers Field. My friend. Uh, but also played the title game in '89. Like I said, I, I just mentioned that earlier, but they got blown out. Uh, they were, you know, they were pretty much the you know, Dallas and the Rams were sort of like the the next tier behind the dominance that was the the, the Giants and 49ers and uh, and Bears and Redskins. Yeah, Robinson. So, they made the playoffs in six of his first seven years. Um, lost two NFC title games: one of the Bears, one of the Niners. Um. And then kind of bottomed out age. at the end. Yeah, they went eight and, that really, eight and twenty-four his last two years. He got canned. Yeah, that really was the end of uh, of a pretty long run because uh, we talked about it before the show. I think um, the Rams in the seventies were sort of um, an unheralded but consistently good team that I didn't even know about till more recently. Because growing up as you and I did in the late seventies and early eighties. We knew about the Cowboys, even if we weren't, and, and the Vikings, even if we weren't like watching the games in 77, 78, you know, we had older brothers. It was kind of background noise. We certainly knew who the Cowboys were, uh, the Vikings we were familiar with. And it was years later that I realized that the Rams made three consecutive title games in the 70s. Uh, they lost the Vikings in 74 and 75, or 74 and 76. They lost the Cowboys in 75. Pretty much made the playoffs every year for a while there until they finally broke through under the aforementioned Ray Malavasi in 79 and gave the Steelers a good fight in the Super Bowl. And it was only six years after that, that Robinson took them to the championship game. So by the end of Robinson's tenure, that was actually, you could, you could argue uh, almost a two decade run of, of above average uh, performance. So, so the, the Robinson Rams would have suffered from the same, I mean, think about that. So he had a, he he coached a really good football team, but mm-hmm. he fe- they finished second in the NFC West every year because 
the fucking Forty Niners are in there. It's the same thing we talked about how the how many championships the Niners, Giants, Bears, and Redskins cost each other. Yep. All being awesome at the same time. Here are the poor Rams who have yeah, a really Dickerson. good football team and can't even yeah. win their division, which means they always have to play in the freaking wild That's card right. game. Right. So. Yeah. I don't feel that. Yeah. No, but it 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 just, it just further bolsters that notion that the that 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 conference in that decade is has to rank as just one of the most you know exquisite periods of football from one one side. So those. Um, Yeah, I guess we were talking a little bit before we came on about the um, those '70s Rams teams. They wouldn't have been that wouldn't have been the fearsome foursome. It would have been after that. That would have been the oh, it's even better. That would have been the Jack Youngblood, Fred mm-hmm. Dreyer, mm-hmm. Hunter. They, That's right. Uh, Rams. The because um, the um, the original fearsome foursome for the Rams. According to Wikipedia, also technically started in 1963 when they added Rosie Greer to Merlin Olson, Merlin Olson, Deacon Jones, and Lamar Deacon Lundy. Jones. Yep, yep. Okay. Uh, Deacon you know, Jones, of course, famous for he claims he invented the term sack because he, and I use this once in a while, he said um, he would tell the other guys it's time to put the quarterback in a sack, which makes very little sense. Unless you're gonna, I guess he's going <laughs> to kidnap him. You um, want to tell him? Right. No, nobody's going to tell Deacon. Deacon, he went back, you know, they didn't keep track of sacks. He went back and counted one year, said he had really? 36 sacks. He, like, he just like he just shows up in, in the Rams like archive video room and like, I'm sorry, sir, I can't show you. And, you know, a few minutes later, Fred's watching all the game footage. You know, I I, I didn't in, intend to do this. I have no anim. Deacon Jones seems like a char- uh, character. I have no animosity towards Merlin Olson, who in some ways was the voice of our childhood, being the number one caller commentary alongside uh, Dick yeah. Enberg. And he got a little well, house in the Prairie spinoff. That's he was, right. He was uh, Lamar, Lamar Lundy, you know, but we grew up hearing about the fierce of foursome. And yet they played from like 63 to 73 like, why wasn't that team any good? Like, what made if they were that fucking great? And yeah, I know you can say they have a terrible offense. Um, is this just some sort of a West Coast hype machine, Andy? I ask you. Well, and they were apparently the fourth team to be dubbed to to be dubbed having a fearsome foursome, and Rosie Greer played on two of them. <laughs> so, what? according to this, in 1957, the first fearsome foursome were the Giants. It was Andy Robostelli, Jim Cat Cabbage, Rosie mm-hmm. Greer, and Dick Mazaluski. Now the names much better. Robostelli, Cat Cabbage, Rosie Greer, sure. Mazaluski. Right. Uh, then they claimed that then the AFL version of that supposedly was the Chargers had Ron Neary, Bill Hudson, Ernie Ladd, and Earl F- Faison. Would that, have, would, that, would that have been the original Los Angeles Chargers then? Probably was that in their first year that they would be bold enough to. I, I'm 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 driving it in, in a thought here, but go on. Who is well, they were listed here as? Um, they don't have the year, but they're listed here as San Diego, and it said the Chargers force them helped them reach the first two um, American Football League championship games. So first one had to be LA, five LA. altogether, and they won the AFL title in '63, beating the Boston Patriots 51 to 10. Actually, five points worse than what the Bears did to the New York. <laughs> 
Wow, who knew that so, the Patriots uh, defeat in January of 86 was not their worst championship game defeat? So then the, just now. the third iteration of the Detroit, of the Fearsome Force was supposedly the Lions, and that was 1962, okay. Roger Brown, Alex Karras, Darius McCord, and Sam Williams. Okay, so that blows my theory, because I started to think, the first and foremost, it's just some concept that started on Madison Avenue in New York, and they tried to apply it to the Giants, and then it flew across country to the new media empire. Well, it Los did, Angeles. but it, well, I guess it bounced around. So, uh, okay, so it all happened fast, apparently. So the Giants were 57. They get dubbed the first and foursome. The Chargers, oh, it says here, 61, their first year in San Diego. Um, they had a fearsome foursome. The next year, the Lions claimed to have a fearsome foursome, and then the year after that, Rosie goes to the Rams, and they supposedly have one. So that nickname sucks. Right. It does. It does suck. And it, and, and that was even without knowing that there were four of them because I was, I was, I was considering the Rams owning a dubious. Again, no, not to besmirch those players, but you don't hear of the Rams and you know, even contending and I mean, they were in title games or, or Super Bowls by the end of the decade. They were a much better team 10 years after those guys left. So yeah. I think we did it. We just we just killed the myth of the fearsome foursome, I hope, once and for all. I, I again, it was not my agenda we've, coming we've in. Proven that it's bullshit. It is. And I'm not afraid to go to just t- have that take right now. Even if all four of those guys are Hall of Famers, they might be. I mean, and it wasn't like, again, John Robinson and Eric Dickerson and Jim Everett, and or that eh, can't be possible because they were traded for each other. But, you know, those teams running into great teams. Who would have the – were the Rams – I mean, I guess they could have been running into the Packers. You know, the Cowboys are good. But still, if they are that great, they would have overcome it. The Packers are getting pretty old by 67 anyway, so – at least they would have pushed Dallas aside to challenge them for supremacy. So there, I found a reason to, to hate on the Rams after complimenting them for the, the John Robinson years. So I think we, I think we all know who the, the greatest quarterback in Rams history was Dieter Brock. Dieter Brock <laughs> came down from the CFL. And, and so that, um, that, that era brings to mind my one Rams bear story. And this is from Mike Singletary's autobiography. So it has to be true because he's not going to lie about this. Is his is is autobiography called Cannot Win With Them? <laughs> Sorry. In his autobiography, he just, he, it's a picture of him standing in the middle of the locker room with his pants around his ankles, yelling, <laughs> <laughs> yelling at his team, kicking, benching, making Vernon Davis go home during a game. That's the cover. And the then book. just like a room full of confused faces as part of the panoramic view. So the Bears, as we know, uh, finally got good in 1984. In fact, one of the lost great Bear games of all time is the complete thumping they put on the Redskins in the playoffs that year, where Todd Bell uh, killed Joe God, Washington. Goddamn right. Um, week 11 of the 84 season, the 7-3 and three Bears flew out to L.A. to take on the 6-4 and four Rams. In 84? In 84. Things you that sure? I- Things did not go... Yes, I looked it up. Okay. Things did not go so well for our Bears. The uh, Rams won 29-13. to 13. The Bears had a 10-0 lead, and then that evaporated. Bob Thomas, rare uh, rare combination here, made a 52-yard field goal, missed an extra point. Um, Eric Dickerson had himself a game in that one. 28 carries for 149 yards and two touchdowns. Oof. Singletary claims on the second touchdown carry, um, 
he's running back towards the bench and he crosses Singletary and Dickerson yells at Singletary. I got gas all day, which man, it could be that he had, he had to toot, but basically he was telling him, you know, <laughs> I'm not slowing down. I got gas all day. So now we fast forward to the NFC title game in January of 1986. And maybe the, that game is fourteen months or so later. That game is most the, the the image everyone has of that game is uh Wilbur Marshall in the snow picking up the fumble and running yeah. for the touchdown. That's her but the yeah. other thing everybody remembers was a third and one where Dickerson yep. gets the ball and Singletary happily greets him in the hole and completely stands him up. This huge running back that that rarely went backwards, Singletary just he didn't gain a centimeter from the time he hit yep. Singletary. Singletary yep. picks him up, plants him, and yells at him, you're out of gas. <laughs> and Dickerson, of course, had no fucking clue why Singletary said that to him. He didn't remember what he said 14 months ago. But Singletary had been thinking about it pretty much daily for 14 yep. months. And I just love that, that story because I know that's it's great. true. I absolutely know it's true. In 84, 85, 86, that was peak Singletary. You know, he was a rookie in 81, uh, and he was at his most maniac, maniacal, um, just at his, at his. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply peak and that that i i think sometimes uh singletary um you know he was smaller sometimes he you know he's a hall of famer uh but like the arc of his career may, may not have been as great as i i mean i'm having a hard time articulating it but in those like three or four years in the middle he was absolutely as dominant yeah. as, as well, it was, was suggested i mean he was a he was a great football player he um but he he pale he he suffers he first of all he probably got more attention than he deserved because he was the Bears' middle linebacker. Correct. But he also suffered then by comparison to um, Bill George, Dick Bunkus. Yep. He wasn't – those are two of the greatest middle linebackers of NFL history, and he wasn't as good as them, but that didn't mean he wasn't really good. Yeah. And then I think consensus is Urlacher surpassed him, so he's – Yeah. And I don't know. I guess we, can, we get, when we have when we have Vag McCaskey on later, we can ask her of uh, where Bulldog Turner ranks on that. Sure, list. right? Yeah, I'm sure Vag has an opinion or two. And Andy, I uh, I apologize for even questioning. I I've got I found a black hole in my memory because I cannot recall that. I'm looking at it now, and yeah, uh, 2913. I'm looking at all these other games, and I can tell you like two or three factoids that happened. I I see the game at St. Louis in '84 where Neil Lomax threw a 60 yard bomb to Roy Green. Uh, the Raiders game was the the week before the epic Bears Raiders game when the Bears defense like totally arrived. I cannot for the life of me recall that Bears Rams game in '84. So full confession, just throwing it out there. Uh, but thanks for sharing that story. Well, it was a it's a weird game because that was so. This listen to Jeff Kemp. <laughs> Jeff Kemp was our quarterback for God's sakes. Listen to his stat line in '84. Yeah, seven of fifteen. 
for 175 yards and a touchdown. That he was only completed year... seven passes, but he right, threw for right. 175 yards. I mean, 63 of them went to Henry Ellard on one play. So. so they still had Allard in 84 because pretty sure he was on their Super Bowl team in 79. Um, the other thing was that was the year Dickinson broke O.J. Simpson's single-season rushing record. I'm pretty sure. Was it not 84? I think it was Dickerson's second season in the league. Um, yeah. And, yeah. 2,105 yards. Yeah. Eric Dickerson, had a, he was pretty good his first two years. Uh, his first year, he ran for 1,808 yards and 18 touchdowns. Yeah. His second year, he ran for 2,105 yards and 14 touchdowns. And then he really cooled off in 85. Uh, he only ran for 1,200 yards. But yeah. then he came back in 86, and he ran for 1,800 yards again. Yeah. I uh, I had the, We had this weird thing, or I had this weird thing growing up, and there was no reason to be insecure. Walter Payton was the greatest running back arguably of all time and certainly in our era, but like I always kind of, I always had a little bit of resentment, right. And, and defensiveness about other running backs. Like first and foremost was Tony Dorsett, um, who was a great running back, but he was on a great team. So yeah. really we, we, you know, Dorsett's just seems sort of a feat by comparison. There's something just trying to find a way to dismiss him, Right. Cause, uh, because whatever, but it, like Billy Sims came into the league, 1980 in the Bears division, and he was really good for a couple of years. He was a Heisman winner at Oklahoma, and that was we talked about that. One of the brief periods of time where the Lions actually weren't bad, and Sims was a big reason why. Uh, but I really kind of worked up a hatred towards him because you know he can't be as good as Walter. And so certainly when Dickerson burst onto the scene, and you know Peyton had challenged that record in '77. He had like 1,800 yards himself. He came within a couple hundred yards of breaking OJ's record, and then you know proceeded to have a couple just above average seasons. But uh, Dickerson's one of those guys that I've really, I really it took me a while to respect him because I was so blinded by the the competition and the jealousy and the envy because we had a you know once in a lifetime generation. But goddamn, that guy was he was something else there for a few years. Got to hand it to him. Yeah, he was. Um... His first seven years in the league, he ran for 11,000 yards. <laughs> he averaged 1,600 yards a season for set for the first seven years. And then and what would you do after that? Well, I mean, he got his ass kicked every day for seven years. And, I mean, that was the th- one of the great things about Walter was how well he Conditioned. Mm-hmm. Um, Dickerson was basically – he was – he – I didn't remember how good he was his first full year with the Colts. He ran for almost 1,700 yards. Um, yeah, I didn't either. But by his age 30 year, he was done. He never ran for more than seven. He ran for 729 yards one season his last four years. Um, but, yeah, his first seven, he was as good as any running back who'd ever Ever. Played. Seven-year period. Yep, yep, yep. Is uh, John Robinson dead or alive? He's alive. Okay. Him and him and Madden are probably still hitting, tooling around the <laughs> west know. in a motor coach. I don't know how much longer Madden's got, but you know, God bless him nonetheless. So they play on Monday night this this week, huh? Yeah, it's Monday night football. Um, the first, our first experience with the uh, re- the revamped crew of Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, former Bear great. Brian oh, of course, of course, and Lewis Riddick, who I've heard yeah, a couple of times, they're they're pretty good. I mean, you don't 
they've ESPN, it took them how long to finally figure out, just put a competent team on, the one that doesn't do a lot of shtick, because it's or a have football a lot of, game. We just want right. to watch the football game, and these three guys just let you watch the football game. Which is so nice. that guy, uh, it was a booger riding around in the golf cart, that's not a thing anymore? <laughs> the booger I don't watch... The Boogermobile uh, was grounded <laughs> during its first season, um, mostly because the, the the team was not meshing very well. Okay. And part of it could have been that a third of them were zipping up and down the sideline <laughs> in a sideways driving golf cart. And in in most stadiums, the Boogermobile was really pissing off the fans who spent a shitload of money because... It was yeah. It was pretty tall, and you know you'd and be sitting there, and all of a sudden the ball would come too. down, and you uh-huh. and all of a sudden the boogermobile would be parked in front of you while you were yeah, trying yeah, yeah. to watch the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see where that would be annoying. Yeah, and then Jason Witten went back to play because he hated it so much. I didn't even know Jason Witten was on the broadcasts. He did a whole, um, he did one year, and okay. then he went back to the Cowboys, and now he's a Raider. He's still playing. If oh, no, I'm no sorry. One, no one remembers that because he's not any good. Yeah. Wow. I he was old new. when he retired, and he's already squeezed two extra years out of his career. It's a uh, tough way to do it, but more power to you. I would think like being a DH in baseball would be a lot easier if you could do that. But, yeah, sure. Why not just put this helmet on? Well, the crazy thing about Witten was um, he nobody knew he was bald. And then all, because apparently he had, he's got the Sandberg. <laughs> you know, I, I'd like to joke about the fact that, you know, Sandberg only, the, the restore, uh, restore only paid for, to give him bangs. Right. He'd have to pay the rest. He didn't want to. So he just, he just has a little hair in the front. Um, apparently that's what Witten, you know, Witten, you know, he, he had always kept like a close cropped haircut. And after he retired, I think during the season, during the Monday night season, he just looked in the mirror one day and said, ah, fuck it. And he shaved his head. And everybody's like, wait a minute, you're, what's going on? He's like, well, I don't really have any hair anyway, so I just decided to get rid of it. Yep. And they're like, um, yeah, you're a TV guy. You can't just show up one day with your head shaved. But, uh, but he did. <laughs> so... Since they're playing Monday night, I just have to share this other memory that I have. I mentioned the first game I ever went to was a Sunday afternoon in 79. But my first Monday night game, which was exciting and scary and weird, you know, it's like, oh, going into the cold, dark city on a school night. And one of my brother, actually, he was entrusted. Uh, my dad, you know, didn't want to bother going down to the city on a Monday night. But I was I was stoked. It's 1981. I want to say I, I don't know the year exactly, but you can look it up. I'm, I want to. I'm sure it was 1981. Um, I suppose it could have been 82, but they only had a nine game schedule. Anyway, um, and I don't know who the third person was, but you know I was stoked about it. You know I don't know how I don't even remember how we got down there. My brother probably drove whatever. He was like seven years older than me. I was just a kid, so I'm nine years old, and uh, and the Bears were bad. You know, I got hooked on a team in 79 that went to the playoffs, and then within short order, they were, you know, back down there. And this would have been Neil Armstrong's last season. And I just remember, I don't even know how the, I didn't know how the Rams were that year, but the game was really not competitive. It wasn't even close. So all that anticipation going in. And uh, it was probably my first, like, real understanding of, like, when a collection of people get sort of just severely intoxicated, you know, 
I mean, I'd sat in the bleachers, you know, I'd smelled weed in the bleachers, but as far as just like, it's different, you know, it's a day game. People sort of keep, you know, kind of keep their composure on a Monday night though, all this hype and people who knows how long in the parking lot, some of these fans were intersection. And I just have this image in my head at one point, the aforementioned Bob Avellini came into the game. As, yep. as, as his per, I'm, as his, I'm looking at your box score right now. The Bears, per, he was one per, of three Bear quarterbacks yes. that day. And he, and he would have been the third because there was a guy in front of us that I was so amused by. And again, my brother was like 16, but he was kind of you know sharp to what was going on uh, in the world. He, he knew the state of this guy in front of me, and I was kind of figuring it out. And this guy... He was he was harmless, but I just remember him like spinning his head round and round, putting his hands on his head when Avellini came into the game, and he just kept he just kept saying, "I'm so confused, I'm so confused," because <laughs> by that Avellini, we joked about it. Like he somehow managed to hang on for ten years. Yeah. Like he was part of this original cropper, you know, this bumper crop of of young players, and he was decent for a few years, but then he was like always there all the way through the early part of the '84 season before his fateful interception in Seattle that really etched in in your mind or your behavior. I mean, it was. It was a long run. So in 81, it was like, well, these other two guys have been knocked out of the game. Might as well go with Bob. And and I just, like, in my head, I just, because I remember I burst out, even I got how funny this guy was in his <laughs> mindset. And, and I was explained to me later that he was really drunk. But just the spinning his head around, like, he had had enough. He had drank enough. He had had enough Avellini. Uh, it was, he had had enough bears. It was 81. They were bad. Um, and it's, it sounds like you're looking at the box score, so mm-hmm. you might have a few other uh, beautiful uh, uh, examples to drop in. So. Uh, Bear quarterbacks uh, were, were sacked six times. Okay. Bob Adelini twice, Mike Phipps three times, and Vince Evans once. So well, though that that triumvirate of quarterbacks actually carried through longer than I thought. Yeah. That, oh, okay. They were well, the three I mean, there in 79. Right. When you have that kind of stable. <laughs> When you have you don't want to break that mediocre, up. When you have three mediocre but otherwise kind of reliable quarterbacks, Hallis why would you like, go with it? Hallis is like, you know, Neil, we already have their num- they already have their names sewn onto their uniforms. Why don't you just keep them? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Oh my Co- god, they kept those three quarterbacks. Couple so of fascinating longer. things. Um, I will give you. A million dollars if you can tell me who the bear kicker was that day. Because I've never uh, heard of this guy ever. So it was not John Rivetto. It was not John Rivetto, my favorite bear kicker of all time. Right. So I do know, and but I'm not going to get this answer, but I do know that there was another kicker that they experimented with yes, after he, Bob Thomas. Yes, but before he was an experiment. And he was terrible. And that's why they, they shit canned him and eventually settled on Rivetto. He tell was, me his name. He is from Denmark. Through via Michigan State. His name was Hans Jorgen Nielsen. Nielsen. I vaguely just he kicked just faintly. He, he kicked in three games for the eighty one Bears. Uh he made he was one for two field goals, made all of his extra points. Congratulations, That's it. Hans Jorgen Nielsen. Uh, yeah, uh, moment of moment of applause. He, so he wasn't terrible. He only, he missed one kick, huh? Yeah, that was enough. I, he obviously he was. Who else? He was clearly filling in for someone. Okay, that's so a, who was the kicker? Could have been Rivetto, maybe. If you, unless you go the, I think Rivetto just was, one game. Oh, yep. 
three kickers that year. Bob Thomas. Uh, he was, okay. So that's what Bob it was. was. Two for three. The great John Rivetto. Ten for eighteen field goals. That's not good. Nineteen of twenty extra points. And but a game winner against the Chargers. I and think. Hans Jorgen Nielsen for three. It's wow. Okay. Bob Parsons did all the punting that year. He didn't need any help. But uh, okay, okay. And so in the game you went to, Walter Payton um, did not have a typical Walter Payton rushing day, uh, probably because of the three idiots who were playing quarterback. Um, 17 carries for 45 yards, but he caught seven passes for 111 yards. (laughs) God bless him. So Walter was going to get his yards one way or the other. Right. And, and yeah, and plus the Bears going through quarterbacks, it just sounds like they're getting drilled. It's like, all right, let's just dump off to Walter. Other than Walter, it was a very talent-laden um, offensive uh, unit. The uh, only other guys to, to carry the ball, uh, Brian Bashnagel caught a pass for three yards. Matt Suey ran 10, yards, 10 times for 40 yards and caught four passes for 38. Davey Williams caught three passes for 15 yards, and my – favorite running back of all time. Roland Harper, one carry for eight yards. He's averaging eight yards, a carry, Neil. Feed him. Unreal. No wonder he lost his job. Neil Armstrong. (laughs) Wendell Tyler, uh, two touchdowns rushing for the Rams. Tyler played in the Super Bowl for the Rams in 79, so he was still there in 81. Okay. Rams were quarterback. Oh, a great game from Pat Hayden. Um 13 of 29 for 210 yards. Well, in the NFL, 1981. Yeah, they didn't carry. Borderline, that's borderline right. exceptional. Pass completion percentage, nobody gave a shit. No. If I mean, they unless did, you were Joe Namath would have to buy a ticket to go to the Hall of Fame if they cared. Yeah, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, how were how were the Rams that year? Because I was talking about the, it was the, were they even any good? Because they were they were in that Ritz. You know, they finished six and ten. I guess I'm looking yeah, at it six now. and ten for the great Melvasey. But yeah, so they weren't even that good. So it was just a bad football. And it was like like the Bears were never like it seemed like they were rarely on Monday Night. Fo- it was it was such a exciting thing. I think partially because that '79 season they were able to be be on in 1980, but. Um, you know, Monday Night Football was like, oh, uh, let's watch the game. And at halftime, Howard Cosell is going to do highlights. Yep. And then we might see Walter Payton highlights. Yeah, I remember that. that was, you were all excited if the Bears actually made. Yeah, and it was pretty much even if they lost, they would show. You, we always got to see Payton. You know, we always had that. As bad as the Bears were, we could take pride in, in, in sweetness. Just not that night, that my first Monday night game exposed to all the debauchery and uh, hopelessness that that encompassed Bears fans all too often. So it's, it's got me think, why are the Bears playing the Rams for the third straight season? Because one of those three years, they were playing the NFC West regardless, and it just so happened that they finished in the same spot. respective spot in the standings, I guess. Yeah. Right. So the year that... Play- so the Bears play all the third place teams. Yep. And the clearly the NFC South. And they played them last year because both teams were division winners the year before, but the year before that was when the Bears played the NFC West, right? Yeah, I guess. Because then uh, in John Fox's last year, I believe that's when they played the 49ers when Tony Garoppolo made one of his first appearances. So they would, if that's true, that would be the fourth uh, the fourth 
straight year that they've played them. It's quite a rivalry. So yeah. uh, on the on the Bear podcast yesterday, Mike Pusteri said that he was he was going to this game. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, thanks to COVID, no one is going to this game. Uh, but they are going to play in the fancy new uh, stadium out there. They got a new they got a new stadium, huh? Yeah, it only costs like uh, a couple of billion dollars. That's it. It does. Is it in Los Is it in Los Angeles or? It's in Inglewood. Uh, Oh, where the old forum was. The forum is. Forum is still a thing. Oh, Uh, sorry. (laughs) Well, but it's like for concerts and stuff. Um, Oh, so the 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 Lakers didn't move into a new forum. They moved into another place, but the forum didn't get blown up like the Palace and Chicago Stadium and whatnot. It's still a thing. I did not know that. I believe that um, the crazy billionaire who owns the Clippers, Steve Ballmer, I believe he mm-hmm. bought the forum. So I believe he is going to tear it down and build yeah, because they're tired of sharing the Staples Center with the Lakers. I believe that's true. Okay, uh, and he's going to just build another arena for one of those teams that back at the old site of the forum? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Ballmer bought the forum for four hundred wow. million dollars, which is pocket change to him. Not, Steve Ballmer, right. and, and like he can, he can milk it because it's like still up to code, right? Until he blows it up. No, they're gonna they're gonna stay in the Staples Center until the new stadium is built, the new arena is built. Okay, but he oh. is so rich. I believe he has more money than the next ten NBA owners combined. That's how rich Steve Ballmer. He still gets big fat Microsoft checks all the time, so sure. and he's a little uh, weird, but uh, yeah. Bought the Clippers for two billion dollars, paid for it probably right out of his wallet. And uh, I have these two. Ever see a billion dollar bill? I've got two of them. Like no, that's not. Those aren't <laughs> things. Uh, but yeah, the, so they got a new stand. They're gonna get a. They're gonna get Super Bowls again and. Okay. Um, All right. That was the whole idea when Jerry Jones masterminded uh, not one but two teams in L.A. That was why he wanted the he wanted them back in the second biggest media market. And apparently now Jerry's jealous because um, he thinks the new stadium is uh, as nice as the monstrosity that he built. I I wasn't Texas. aware. I wasn't aware of this line of thinking that has Jerry Jones like sort of pulling the strings to get football. Oh yeah, the they're Angeles super again. pissed at him in both San Diego and St. Louis. St. Louis, because okay. he this he kept telling Goodell that they, it, it was ridiculous that they didn't have a football team in LA. Correct, correct. And, for, not, for twenty years, and Jerry was the one who said financially it really only makes sense if you have two because then you you pretty much have a game in the new stadium every week. That's right. All um, right. Good argument. Can't fault the logic. He was trying to put the Raiders and the Rams together. Uh-huh. And Yeah, because you, you already have established fan bases in both cases that, you know, I, the, the team has already played in that city in yeah, the past. Yeah, and I think anecdotally, I think there's probably more Raiders fans in L.A., Actually, not anecdotally. There are, they're they're probably with even with two teams there now. I think there are more yeah. Raiders fans 
than Rams and Chargers fans. Although that yeah, was, that was Raiders, slowly, and but, well, although they're really not that. I mean, they're in Vegas. They're not that far they, away now. Vegas is only 100 miles away from Los Angeles. So that's actually pretty. I mean, it's like Chicago to Rockford. Think about that. Three, they got three NFL teams. Maybe not a hundred. I might be off, but it's not a. It's it's a day drive. You could drive from LA to Vegas and and you know and, and hit the casinos and come back in a reasonable yeah, hour. Like a, what is it? It's a four-hour drive. Two hundred and seven. Look it up. It's four hours. So it's even close. Still, all right. So I mean, hundred miles. A little bit off, Midwest boy. Yeah, everything's everything's um, sixty miles apart in Illinois. Right for for us, right. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's still it's what still. is it? Uh, it's Chicago to Cedar Rapids, or yeah, Chicago four four hours. You said, yeah, just a little bit further than Chicago to Green Bay. Like if you could go. I mean, people will go from Chicago from the north suburbs, especially Ooh. to Green Bay and back. That's not even three hours. My, so my Cedar Rapids guess was pretty close. Is that right? Three hours and 50 minutes from Chicago check, to Cedar Rapids. Check out the brain on Charles Kuralt over here. Hot damn. Especially for a guy who's never been to Cedar Rapids and is never going to go there. I just guessed at a city in Iowa. Got it right. That's good. That's good. All right. Well, I think we've uh, exhausted our Rams knowledge, but it was pretty good. That was, that was, they were, they, you're right. They were more fun than these quasi expansion teams. That they are. Been. It's nice to have one with a little history. And then next week, there's the rich tapestry of Bears Saints, which there really is stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah, it goes back. It kind of goes back. Goes back to the sort of Falcons territory. Um, yeah, well, well, there there are things there, but yeah, certainly a lot easier to mine the depths of a team that's yes, been but around. Yes, the, ba- the Bears never got to beat the Falcons to go to the Super Bowl. That's true, and they've only been able to do that to two teams, and we just finished discussing one of them, so I'll drink to oh, that. All right, back-to-back weeks where the Bears get teams they've vanquished on their way. Goddamn right. I think that's a sign. And I still think I want people, somebody out there has to have, somebody put it on YouTube, for God's sakes. I want to I want to rewatch and write a, whatever I call those things, Um yeah, we, we confused it with Jerry Kramer's yeah, biography. It's not distance replay. It was whatever it is. Um, yeah, you'll, you'll figure it out. Yeah, that's my own column. I would remember what it's called. <laughs> um, I want to rewatch the Saints Bears NFC title game. I think I've only seen it and, once, and I and was, it's not readily it's not readily found on the it is not on the interweb. I don't get it. Okay, all right. So I got one last thing here before we go. I have an ethical question for you because you're my you're the guy I go to with ethical questions. You know, sure. I mean, why wouldn't you? All right, so this happened today. I'm a grown man, but I still have I still play video games. I have a I have a PS4, and it slowly but surely was becoming more and more unreliable. It would uh, I'd go to turn it on, and it wouldn't boot up. And if I unplugged it and let it sit for 20 minutes and plugged it back in, I could get it to work. And then that started to turn into it's, it did it like once every couple of months. Then it was doing it once a month. Then it was doing it weekly. Then yep. the other day I went to do it. It was a brick. Wouldn't turn on at all. So I took it to a place here in town. Um, I said, just take a look at it. If it's something serious, I'm not going to spend a lot of money to fix this thing. But if it's something quick and you can fix it, fix it. And they said, okay, that's fine. So they called me that day and said, it's just the power supply. We can swap it out. It's 100 bucks, and we'll have it ready for us. That's fine. Let's do it. So yep. I went to pick it up today, walked in, and the... 
the ticket that I had that they gave me was for a free diagnostic, which is what they were going to do. They were take a look at it, let me know what it was, so I could decide what right. to fix it. Get customer, get some traffic. So she's like, are you here to pick one up? I said, yes. I handed her the ticket. She goes back. She brings it out. She sets it down. And she says, I just need you to sign this. And so I grab my wallet. I'm ready to pay. I go to sign it. It says $0. And I said, well, no, he... I, I said, I owe money for this. She's like, no, no, we don't charge for diagnostics. And I said, well, no, he fi- uh-huh. he fixed it. Right, right. And she's like, that's not what it says. So, <laughs> I, so I took it. And thinking to myself, okay, maybe he didn't actually fix it. So I'll just take it home, plug it in, yeah. see if it fires yeah. up. If it doesn't, now I know what's wrong with it. And I Googled it. I can fix it myself for half the cost. So I'll just do that. I fired it up. He fixed it. It works. He did fix it. Okay. Yeah. So okay. I have an ethical dilemma. I have a receipt that says, I signed, that said I can have my property back yep. for yep. no dollars. But the guy actually did what he said. Now, this is not a, this is not a mom and pop shop. This is a chain. So it's not like the guy I, I, would be out of money. I was going to ask that because, um, frankly, it does matter. Yes. I, I so think should fulfilled- I just keep it? Here's what I did. I kept it today for the idea that, all right, I want to make sure this thing works. So I played a little bit. I'm going to play it again tomorrow. And if it works tomorrow, my plan is to call them and go, all right, it's fixed. I'd and like to pay you for what you fixed. And if tomorrow they're like, eh, then yeah. I'm not paying for it. You've already sort of raised the you know kind of gone out of your way to raise the issue that maybe there may have been a misunderstanding and the lady wasn't having anything of it and to go back yeah she just wanted to give it to me and get me out of her store but you still brought it up all right that's that's a fact i tried to pay for it yeah and so uh i think it's totally acceptable to do that again because i'm thinking like ultimately at the end of the day you're at our age you know (laughs) It's like, I'm always looking to make a deal, but like, I'd be far more inclined to just like whistle around and like well, 20 years ago than now. So I, I would yes. probably do the same thing you're doing and like, you know, just for my own, follow it up again. But at some point you can only protest so much that they may have overlooked something where, well, what are we going to do? They're not even missing it to begin with. So yeah, I would call and give them another chance to um, acknowledge the services rendered. But, you know, at some point, what, what are you supposed to do? I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> I try, I'm, it's like I'm, I'm trying to pay you, but if you don't want to take it, I'm going to stop trying to pay you. That's right. kind of my theory. You're right. If it was 20 years ago, I would have run out of the store with the thing under my arm, uh-huh. hopped in the car, driven home and never given it another right. thought. Like, oh, my God. I can't believe my luck. I can't believe it. That saved $100. But now but- it's like, no, this is <laughs> right. somebody's job. I don't want them. Right. If if they right. owned the place, I'd be like, "This is how you make money. You need to do this." Now right. I'm like, "What if somebody gets in trouble for? Right. Well, what was this? I mean, well, there's a part missing. How is it accounted for?" And they're like, "Well, it's in some guy's PlayStation Four. Right. They didn't pay us, but I tried to pay." Them. So but you br- if you bring if you bring it up multiple times, and th- then it, it almost gives you your own answer because it's kind of telling you, "Well, it's not going to be missed because they're not that." diligent to right. begin with. I mean, if I try to pay them tomorrow and they won't, and they still won't take it. Yeah. No one's I'm, getting chewed out. I'm done trying to pay for it, but right. I'm no more get... than happy to pay them. Yeah. Yep. They did what they said and it works. And that was, I think, I, I think you're on the right path, young Andrew. All right. Good. <laughs>
to wisdom and morality. The, I, I mean, seriously, a second time, just because, again, that point, that's the answer you need is they're not. Um, yeah, it's not it's not being missed and no one's getting chewed out. No one's losing their job if they're not going to pick up the ball and you keep sort of pointing it out to them. So thanks. Thanks for putting me on my heels there with an ethical question, by the way. Well, Rod, I, mean, I was busy, so I thought I'd. <laughs> That was great. So the last year, the last year he was in office, two thousand eight. Every, every state right employee now. had to start taking mandatory ethics training that had his name on the training because he was he was basically touting, you know, we're all going to do ethics training. And the reason right. for it at the time was hilarious. It was that he was getting in trouble for charging his haircuts as Among a business expense. Wow. Now, and I think a Rod Blagojevich haircut, that's like a $400 haircut. Correct. You're not just going down to like, you know, uh, you know, sell, you know, Aaron Otto's place to. So I always think know. whenever it comes ethics um, test time, I always think of Rod. Yeah. That was a golden fucking test. Yes. I'm guessing. And it was funny because the very first year we all took the test, there was a haircut question on it, which I just loved. <laughs> it was, can you, it was like, uh. Johnny has a public-facing job, and he needs to uh, uh, trim his huge pompadour. Right, <laughs> he needs he needs to have a. Uh, it's required that he have a, a a nice, neat appearance. Can he ask to, for his haircut expense to be reimbursed? And the answer was no. But, wow, a, a little bit uh, a little bit on the nose. I, I have a feeling say. somebody wrote it so that when Rod t- had to take the test. <laughs> He'd be reminded, like, oh, that's right. I'm not supposed to turn these receipts. I know. I know one of our listeners is a state of Illinois employee, so I'm gonna see if I can maybe walk that one backwards and suss it out. Well, it was funny because the, the year I was the the first year we took it, I was working for a community college, and our the board of trustees at our community college was refusing to let us take the test. They were basically saying, "No, we're not." You're not state employees. Community colleges are state supported. They're not state funded. And that seems like a correct argument. So they're basically saying we don't want to set the precedent by taking this test. And so this is before that the board at the at that college went completely nuts. So this is when they still had like rational people on the board, and they're like they're like it's not lost on us that we <laughs> we are telling our own employees not to take an ethics test. But it's not it's not because we don't want them to be ethical, it's because we don't want to set the precedent that right. they're that we don't want them to be treated to have to do have to fill the requirements of a state employee without any of the benefits of being a state employee. And at some point the, the college lawyer finally said, just take let them take the damn test. And so <laughs> It doesn't matter. Bogoyevich won't you know. Yeah. So there you have it. Now we've got so a little a little bonus ethics at the end of the podcast. I like that. It's very uh, very eclectic. This show. Yeah. I, oh, yeah, I appreciate having know, been a part of it. We know John Robinson is alive and and, and, and doing shots of of Don Julio <laughs> with in the cruiser with with a nonagenarian John. I mean, they're the same age, so you know with John Madden. I wonder if they, maybe they just have like the they just have the RV parked in the in John's driveway and he he. <laughs> Potters out to it and gets in, and they somebody makes vroom vroom noises in the front, and he thinks they're <laughs> we going to Green Bay. Yes, we're going to Green Bay, John. Oh, I didn't pack a jacket. Right. Yes. <laughs> Boom, 
There's a, there's a script there. I mean, a 70 year old story. <laughs> I mean, it dates back to third grade. Yeah. Incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a hell of a takeaway. I'm, I'm running with that. All right. All right. Well, thanks Mike. Yeah. Thanks Andy. Till next right. week. Right? right. Yep. Go bears. Go bears. Many of us have herpes. 